Good morning. Today's message is based on a passage of Hosea, chapter 2, verses 2 to 23. But now, bring charges against Israel your mother, for she is no longer my wife, and I am no longer her husband. Tell her to remove the prostitute's makeup from her face and the clothing that exposes her breasts. Otherwise, I will strip her as naked as the day she was born. I will leave her to die of thirst as in a dry and barren wilderness, and I will not love her children, for they are conceived in prostitution. Their mother is a shameless prostitute and became pregnant in a shameful way. She said, I'll run after other lovers and sell myself to them for food and water, for clothing of wool and linen, and for olive oil and drinks. For this reason... I will fence her in with thorn bushes. I will block her path with a wall to make her lose her way. When she runs after her lovers, she won't be able to catch them. She will search for them, but not find them. Then she will think, I might as well return to my husband, for I was better off with him than I am now. She doesn't realize it was I who gave her everything she has, the grain, the new wine, the olive oil. I even gave her silver and gold. But she gave all my gifts to Baal. But now I will take back the ripened grain and new wine I generously provided each harvest season. I will take away the wool and linen clothing I gave her to cover her nakedness. I will strip her naked in public while all her lovers look on. No one will be able to rescue her from my hands. I will put an end to her annual festivals, her new moon celebrations, and her Sabbath days. All her appointed festivals... I will destroy her grapevines and fig trees, things she claims her lovers gave her. I will let them grow into tangled thickets where only wild animals will eat the fruit. I will punish her for all those times when she burned incense to her images of Baal, when she put on her earrings and jewels and went out to look for her lovers, but forgot all about me, says the Lord. But then I will win her back again. I will lead her into the desert and speak tenderly to her there. I will return her vineyards to her and transform the valley of trouble into the gateway of hope. She will give herself to me there as she did long ago when she was young, when I freed her from her captivity in Egypt. When that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me husband instead of my master. O Israel, I will wipe the many names of Baal from your lips and you will never mention them again. On that day, I will make a covenant with all the wild animals and the birds of the sky and the animals that scurry along the ground so they will not harm you. I will remove all weapons of war from the land, all swords and bows, so you can live unafraid in peace and safety. I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and make you mine. And you will finally know me as the Lord. In that day, I will answer, says the Lord. I will answer the sky as it pleads for clouds, and the sky will answer the earth with rain. The earth will answer the thirsty cries of the grain, the grapevines and the olive trees, and they in turn will answer Jezreel. God plants. At that time, I will plant a crop of Israelites and raise them for myself. I will show love to those I called not love. And to those I called, not my people. I will say, now you are my people. And they will reply, you are our God. 
Good morning again. So we're continuing on a series, The Twelve Prophets, and we're doing a mini-series within the series, you could say, uh, talking about our vision here at Oak Ridge. Last week, we spoke on, or I spoke on, the book of Haggai, and I got into this idea of us being the church. If you haven't, or if you weren't here for that, I encourage you to go check it out. It's online. You can listen to it. And it gives a bit of a, an idea about what we are to be as the church. The idea is that we don't go to church, that we are the church. Today we're going to be getting a little bit more specific, a little bit more intimate, and we're going to discuss relationships today. And one of the things I love about relationships is that we have incredible positive examples uh, first and foremost, in, in the person of Jesus. And so I'm grateful for that. But we don't always learn positively, do we? Uh, for those of you who know, I, I went bad as a, as a teenager, about age 13. And so I was in high school, and typically what they do with the bad kids is they lump them in with other bad kids, and then they, they try to scare us straight. You guys ever heard, heard about being scared straight? It's this idea where they take the bad kids and, and they try to show them what the consequences of their actions will be. They might take them to the morgue or to a prison or something like that. For us, one of the number of times that they tried to scare us straight, they brought a gentleman in in a wheelchair. And he, he came in and, and he proceeded to tell us about his life and the decisions that he'd made. Most of them were poor decisions. And because of that, he had ended up in this wheelchair. He'd lived a life of drug and alcohol abuse, spent time in and out of prison. He'd hurt people. He'd been hurt by people. His life was a disaster. And because of that, at this point... When he was talking to us, he was very lonely. And most of all, he was ashamed of the man that he had been. Sat there and pleaded with us with tears streaming down his face. Please don't make the same mistakes that I made. I didn't listen. A number, a number of years went by before my epic train of bonehead decisions would somewhat cease, at least. Still not perfect. Have you ever been there? Maybe, maybe not that same place, but have you ever been in a situation with, faced with a decision or with a group of decisions, a trajectory that you're setting on your life and everybody you know is saying that you're making a mistake. You ever been there? And you look at all of them and you shake your fist and you say, nobody is going to tell me how my life's going to go. You proceed to continue on in that direction and guess what? Exactly the same thing that everybody told you was going to happen, happened. It's so weird how it that tends to be 
the case sometimes. So if you've been paying attention so far to this series that we're on in the 12 Prophets, or you've been reading any of the Old Testament, you know that the Israelites have been on a hundreds of years long, scared, straight story for all of us to listen and read and learn from. We've just read 22 verses, and I'll be the first to admit the first half of that was pretty dark. It's pretty bleak. It was punishment. And this is a story that they've been on for many centuries. But the second half of that passage shows a beautiful picture of what will be. God says this will happen. It's going to restore his people to relationship. But not just any relationship, but a beautiful relationship. And there's many, many lessons that we could take from this passage, but I want to key in on just one today to help us think through this idea of what it means to be becoming family. And that's all people are our people. All people are our people. I hope that rings in your hearts. Because when I think, when it becomes to becoming family, we can be, we don't have to be scared straight into this. We can be inspired straight, can't we? By looking at God's behavior to the Israelites and then also to the early church as they responded to their teacher, to their friend, Jesus. We can look at these examples and the relationships and take the principles from that and see how we can get better. Because, brothers and sisters, I've already, I've already said that I'm not perfect. And I don't think any of us are at relationships yet. This is something that we need to be thinking about. So we're going to jump back into the text just a little bit for a few minutes, and it's hopefully going to show God's heart for us and our call to love other people. So a little context for you. Hosea was a prophet who wrote in the 8th century. And as he was writing this, he was focusing on the northern kingdom of Israel. The northern kingdom would end up being destroyed in 722 by the Assyrians. And when they were destroyed, they were scattered. So so the image we want to have in our minds is is careless seed tossing, just throwing them into the wind, and wherever they land, that's where they will be planted. That's what happened to them. Their group, or this group, had abandoned God so entirely. They had forsaken His love so completely that they had ceased to be His people. They'd walked away. Okay, now check this out. This whole book 
If we were to go back and read in in chapter 1, verses 4 to 8, this whole book hinges on three names. And these three names are names that God asks Hosea to name the children that he has with his wife, Gomer. Now, this is, this is history. This is a relationship that happened, but it is the, one of the greatest object lessons that we'll ever hear about. So they have three kids, and God says, name the first one Jezreel. And then the text goes on to explain to us that he wants them named Jezreel in the negative because Israel had done a massacre in the valley of Jezreel, and God was not happy about that. Second kid, lo ruhama, means not loved. Lo ruhama means not loved. And third, lo ami means not my people. So you have Jezreel over a massacre. You have lo lo ruhama, not loved. Lo ami, not my people. Can you imagine the first day of school for these kids? As you're going through the attendance roll, or or maybe a first blind date, and you sit across the table, what's your name? Oh, not loved. Nice to meet you. But this went to serve a purpose, because nevertheless, as tough as that sounds, God had a plan for restoration, for reconciliation in mind. When Sarah and I met in the summer of 2010 in Poland, I, I fell in love with her right away. Sarah, she, she developed feelings for me. And we spent a wonderful summer together and served. And when we went back home and went back to our respective provinces, me to BC and Sarah to Quebec, those feelings that she developed dissipated like mist off of Niagara Falls. Now, I could have walked away. And believe me, brothers and sisters, my ego begged me to. But I didn't. I didn't. You want to know why? Because I loved her. And I knew that she belonged with me. Not to me, but with me. I can see, or we can see, God's desire to do the same for this group of wayward people. This group that would become what we would now call the Gentiles. That, that's us. In, in biblical language, there's, there's typically two groups. There's the Jews, and then there's everybody else. And we would be if we're non-ethnic or non-participatory Israel, we are Gentiles. And this is God's heart as he wanted to allure them. And that's what the difference in the situation is that God is doing this out of radical love and compassion. I mean, the difference between me and, and God. Radical love and compassion for people because they certainly, these Gentiles, haven't earned it. They haven't earned this love, but yet he is going to come after them. Just look at the pronouns. If you read through that passage, as we listen to it, you may have heard some of these pronouns 
I, this deep personal language that God is going to be deeply involved, intimately involved. And then she, his wayward bride, who is running from him, but nevertheless, he's pursuing. They had become adulterous. They had forgotten everything that God had done for them. And so he uses this imagery of adultery for they were going off, they were spending time and giving credit for their whole lives with other gods. They're saying, yeah, God, we know you've done all this stuff, but what have you done for me lately? Or maybe they're just saying, God, we don't even think you did that at all. We think it was Baal. But in verse 14, God says that no matter the past, no matter what they've done, he is going to allure his wayward people. I love that word, don't you? Allure. He's going to seek after them. He's going to chase after them. He says, or we see this journey going from verse 2 where he says that they wasn't their husband, or he wasn't their husband anymore to verse 16 and 17. We see, when that day comes, says the Lord, you will call me my husband. You call me my husband. And as we read through this, the, the word play in English isn't quite as fun as it is in the Hebrew language, but the word for husband here is ishi. He's like, you will call me ishi. Instead of my master. And that's key. Because my master in the Hebrew is bali. It's bali. He says, you're not going to be calling me that anymore. Instead, verse 17, O Israel, I will wipe the name, the many names of Baal from your lips and you will never mention them again. You're not even going to have to come close to mentioning them again. Simply put, he's going to do something so amazing that they're only going to have eyes, that we are only going to have eyes for him. One of my favorite movies ever, ever of all time is uh, Back to the Future. Number one, not the, not the other two. And in that, there's a character named George McFly. And George only has eyes for Lorraine. Lorraine, sadly, he, she's got eyes for somebody else. And George is kind of this kind of geeky guy, played up like that, gets picked on a lot by a guy named Biff, you know, classic bully name, Biff. And George wants Lorraine. Biff wants Lorraine. And near the end, there's this incredible scene where Biff has accosting Lorraine. He's getting all handsy hands. And George comes across him, or comes across this scene and, and says, get your hands off her, Biff. And Biff laughs at him, pushes him down, pushes Lorraine down. And then George hauls off and just knocks him right out. It's fantastic. 
the build-up to it was, was very sweet. But after that moment, Lorraine only had eyes for George. Lorraine only had eyes for George. In verse 19 and 20, God says how he plans to get Israel's eyes on him. I will make you my wife forever, showing you righteousness and justice, unfailing love and compassion. I will be faithful to you and I will make you mine. And you will finally know me as the Lord. See, this image goes way, way beyond just contractual obligations, brothers and sisters. This is a marriage. This is a beautiful scene of a marriage that Hosea is painting for us. It's an act of love. In other words, this isn't just mere restoration of old covenant rights to Israel. This is an enactment of a new relationship based on love. This is a new covenant. So the key idea of God knowing God comes into play in this verse. Then this is important because there's going to come a time when Jesus is with his followers and he's talking to them and he says that when it comes to eternal life, you need to know this. You need to know God. And know his son that he sent. This is eternal life. This is what it's all about. And this, brothers and sisters, is where we come in. As a community who seeks to follow Jesus, we should be committed to taking these characteristics, this righteousness, this love, this compassion, and exemplifying them for all of the world to see. But he asked the question, to who do we exemplify these two? And I'm really glad you asked. Because at the end of the passage, God paints this beautiful picture, again, of what will be. Do you remember those scattered people from the beginning? The, the seeds being tossed into the wind? God says that he's going to take those people. And here we find out in verse 22 that that name Jezreel... It actually has a, a deeper, more wonderful meaning, and that's God plants. So he says, at that time, I will plant a crop of Israelites and raise them for myself. I will show love to those called not loved, so no more lo ruhama. You are loved. And to those I called not my people, remember Loami, that's gone. I will say, now you are my people. And they will reply, reply, you are our God. This verse foreshadows the most shocking event in New Testament times for Jewish people who were tracking 
with all of the things that God had been doing through the person of Jesus Christ. He's announcing that the people, his people, that group is expanding. Yes, he started with ethnic Israel, but he would fling the doors open and make it possible for everybody to be able to come into relationship with him, to be included in his family. Isn't that beautiful? Brothers and sisters, all people are our people. We don't know where people, where anybody is with God. We, we take what they say at face value. Really, that's between them. But what we do know is that God has wayward people in mind and he is drawing them to himself. He's alluring them. Our job is to love them, to welcome them, to make people feel as though they're not alone in this world. As though they matter. We love them. As you can imagine, Jesus modeled this best. He was known as someone who hung out with an eclectic group of people, you could say. Hung out with the spiritual elites. Hung out with the normal, hard-working people. Normal. Hung out with the drunkards, the tax collectors, all the sinners. This is who Jesus spent his time with. And you want to know the truth? In many ways, they were all the same. They're all the same. They all needed a savior. They all needed someone to come alongside them. Just like we do. Just like we do. And we want we to include Everybody. There is no us and them. There's only a desire to represent Jesus' call to love. Recently, there is an NFL quarterback who made some unfortunate comments during a press conference. He was asked a question by a female sports reporter, and he laughed. And he said that it was funny hearing these kind of questions from a female sports reporter. Now, he, he, he said that it was actually meant as a compliment, but he didn't give anybody else that impression. That was there. It was taken as sexist and demeaning to female professionals everywhere. And to his credit, he later apologized. But there was some damage done because he messed up. Dan and Yogurt, one of the, the people that, or the companies, I should say, that sponsor him, made a, or a, cut the contract and, and severed relationship with them. And commenting on this, a, a former coach and, and player and now TV analyst said, do you want to build your brand? Do you want to represent your brand? Well, you have to represent your brand with your words and your actions. 
His point being that these comments that he made wasn't representing who he claimed to be. Now this guy, he was, he was hawking yogurt. Right? That, that was, that was that relationship. I claim to serve and to worship the Lord of the universe. So what's our brand? Well, Jesus says that it's love, and by it, people will know us. And it's going to attract them. I can remember when I first entered recovery, I, within first week, I ended up in a church for one of the first times. And I remember calling my mom and, and making the joke that when I walked through the doors that I, I didn't burst into flames. It's my rudimentary understanding of how, how faith works. But at any rate, the people behind those doors welcomed me in. They had been welcoming people, my folk, in like that for a number of years. So the days when we would walk in and, and the, the women would, would hug their purses a little bit tighter, or the men would, would kind of cling on to their children a little bit closer, those days were long gone. But they instead welcomed us in. Not only that, but they included us in what they were doing. They said, you can belong to this community. That meant a lot to me. Because I hadn't been there. I hadn't experienced that in the same way before. They loved me. And that's how we want to do things. And I thank God that we already are. I've invited Wendy to come up and she's going to share for a couple minutes here about what we're talking about. Many of you may know me. I'm Wendy, and also I'm a mother. Like every other mother here, I take care of my lovely daughter. I cook for her. I drive her to school every day, and I do all the housework. In the first year of my life in Canada, I could say my life has no color. I repeated to do the same work, follow the same pathway, and the people I met can be counted by using only one hand. Everything was so same so normal, till one day I said to myself, I cannot live my life like this anymore. I need to go out and socialize. Fortunate enough, after spending two years here in Oak Ridge Bible Chapel, I finally get the opportunity to stand here on the stage to share my story with you. This chapel absolutely impacted me more than I thought possible, and I'm proudly and grateful to say OBC became my second family. I first landed in Canada in July 2014. 
with zero English skills and no friend. I didn't meet Eve and the other friends until the second year because I'm just too afraid and overwhelmed to walk out of my comfort zone. However, um, coincidentally, I met Eve and uh, start, started going to ESL class every Monday. For that time, I know my life will be changed. However, I walked into the church. There is one feeling that always approaches me right away, a feeling that I have never had before. It's warm, kind, familiar. I cannot tell, but I know this kind of feeling motivates me to speak up and to try to do things I have never even imagined before. Every Sunday mornings, although I can hardly understand the content of Bible, just by just by sitting in the room with all of you makes me satisfied and happy. When I was in China, most of the Chinese expressed their love in a reserved way. Therefore, I'm not used to do the hugs with people besides my husband and the daughter. However, as I become a part of OBC, now I'm more open and willing to greet others by giving them a hug. I feel that the hug can replace of rule of words things. I'm not good at English, and I hug can show that I'm very friendly. Last but not least, I want to say thank you to everyone who has helped me before, and also to my daughter, Melanie, who wrote this script for me. Without her, I will not be able to say this to you. She also gave me the courage to stand here. I love the Chirp, my second family. I love all of you. Thank you. Xie Now that's what I'm talking about. This is what we want to be trying to get even better at doing. When Jesus went off and ascended, and he left behind his little group of believers behind and told them to to build the church, they would meet together all the time. Sometimes it would be in homes. Sometimes it would be in a group setting like this. Listen to somebody teach and sing songs, pray together, eat together. They would, they would fellowship together. We like to say that, right? They'd have fellowship. When someone was hurting and sick, they would go to them and pray with them and try to encourage them and 
someone was unhappy or sad, lost a loved one or something was going on in their life that was bringing them down, they would try to come alongside them and walk through it with them. When someone was happy, celebrating, when they had a child or something amazing was happening in their life, they would come to them and they would rejoice together. They encouraged one another, they disciplined one another, they set this time aside to be with one another. They did life together. And through it all, their numbers would grow daily as God and His Spirit worked through it. And it didn't matter who was coming because God taught them that all people were their people. I asked this question last week, but it bears repeating again. Are you in? Is this something that you think you can get behind? Because a vision or a direction is only as good as the amount of buy-in that we receive, the amount of people that are willing to say that, yes, I'm willing to set aside time and money for this community, for this community to seek It's health, both physically, spiritually, emotionally. Within these walls, coming alongside people and loving them as Jesus loved his disciples and his disciples, and on and on down the line. Are you in? Is that something that you feel like you can get behind? I hope it is because we want people, when they come to Oak Ridge, we want them, when they walk in the door, to know that they're welcomed here. That they can belong here. That they can find community here. And we can do this because we know that all people 